Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I appreciate the songs this morning. And uh, where the Lord is, you can rest assured it's going to be holy ground. And uh, He is worthy of praise this morning. And I'm thankful uh, for who He is and uh, what He's done for you and I. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to Acts 16 as we continue studying there in Acts chapter number 16. And uh, as you find your place, I'm going to ask uh, if you guys, if y'all will pull up the map there on the, uh, I think it's the next slide, um, to remind you a little bit of what's going on in Acts 16 and also to remind you why we're here, not just randomly, um, but in accordance with our study in Philippians on Wednesday night that we're just kind of beginning um, Acts 16 is where the church at Philippi began, where the first convert is, is uh, brought to Christ, is recorded here in Acts 16, which is why we've been studying here. Uh, there's been some messages in between with Lucas being here for homecoming, uh, and Pastor Todd Payne was here, but uh, we've been studying through Acts 16 on the Sundays I've been uh, preaching, and that's the reason why. And then I put a couple arrows on this map to maybe help you just uh, gather a picture of what's taking place. The arrow on your in the bottom right is Jerusalem, which is where the gospel would have started when Acts opens, when the gospels close. That's where it started. And if you look in your left, the top left, there's Philippi. Uh, that's the city that the book was, where the church was, that the book of Philippians was written to. Uh, and you can see the distance that the gospels traveled. And you remember when we first started looking in Acts 16, um, how the Spirit of God wouldn't let Paul go into Bithynia and Mysia. You see some of those places. And uh, Paul ended up over there in Macedonia, the region, Philippi, a city. And so the gospel's gone a long ways. And uh, Paul's been faithful, and we see even more so. I think it makes what takes place in Philippi that much more special that God had these particular individuals. Lydia, of course there's others, but these are people we see as individuals who are brought to Christ through God and His grace, sending Paul and his missionary team to this small city, or this city rather, I won't say small, but to this city far away from Jerusalem. And you see the distance that the gospel's traveled and the care that God takes even for a single soul and uh, the concern he has for them. But I wanted you to see that to show you again where the gospel's traveled from and to remind you why we are in Acts 16. Uh, so if you will, I'll ask you if you will stand Acts chapter 16. We're going to read verses 25 uh, through verse number 34. We did read verse 25 last week, but I uh, want to pick up there this week, uh, or last Sunday I preached, I should say. But verse number 25 says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And the most important question that anyone can ever ask is recorded in verse number 30. The jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. 
And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Father, we love you. And we thank you for first loving us. God, thank you for this text this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word that gives us wisdom and light that we can live by. God, a firm foundation that we can stand upon. And God, I pray this morning that you would do with your word what I cannot do, God. And would you take it and apply it very personally to somebody's heart and life. God, change and transform some individual through your word this morning. God, I pray for the soul that might be here that's lost, that God, in their heart, whether they are or not, they need to be asking this question, what must I do to be saved? Father, I pray that you take every other thought, every other thing that can distract our mind from you, and God, remove those things and help us and center our attention upon you and upon what you're saying to us through your word. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather together. Thank you for the freedom we have this morning to hear your word. God, help me to be faithful to proclaim it with integrity so that what I say is what thus saith the Lord, so that I'm doing the preaching that you bid me to do. Father, that I'm truly just your ambassador this morning, just a representative of you, that what I say is what you would say. Lord, we love you again. Thank you for first loving us, and we pray all this in the names above every name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. You can be seated. If God were to give you the opportunity to put your eyes upon the book of life, and you saw your name recorded there, would you be any more certain of your salvation than you are right now? Revelation 20 and 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life then is the role of those who will be in heaven. And if your name is recorded there, it means that you are saved, that you will be with Christ forever. And so in other words, this morning my point is this, to get you thinking about how sure are you about your salvation. Charles Spurgeon in a sermon about Ephesians 1-7 titled The Treasures of Grace tells about a young girl. that he was, It was a part of his congregation. He told the story in the sermon as if it was a, not an illustration but a, a real life situation that he encountered. And as he writes about this girl, he says that she's in heaven now. So she had passed away when he's telling this story in his message. Well, the time of her departure was at hand, and I guess she didn't say, but it seemed like she was sick. She was a young girl, and he went to visit her with one of his deacons. And Spurgeon says that they asked her whether she was afraid of dying. And she answered and said, no, the only thing I fear is this. I am afraid of living, lest my patience should wear out. She'd rather go home to be with her Lord than to be unfaithful and turn her back on Jesus. And Spurgeon explains, he went on to ask her, do you not have, have you not any doubts? The young girl answered and said, no, none, sir. Why should I? I clasp my arms around the neck of Christ. Can you face death with that much certainty? Are you assured of your salvation to the point that you can face death with confidence whenever it comes knocking? And based on this text of Scripture this morning, I get the joy of telling you that you can have this kind of assurance. The Philippian jailer asked a very direct question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul provides an answer that is just as direct. And through this encounter, you can know without a doubt that you are saved. As the old saying goes, as you've probably heard many times, you can know that you know that you know that you are saved. And so first of all, to know that, you must recognize a personal need for salvation. 
The jailer, as I mentioned in reading the text in verse number 30, asked the most important question any single individual in this life can ever ask. What must I do to be saved? The sad reality is that very few are still asking this question. The reason that many do not ask this question is because they do not realize what the jailer realized, and that was that he was not okay in the condition that he was in. The word saved means to heal or to rescue. I read that it means to deliver out of danger and into safety. So in other words, someone's headed for destruction and they are rescued from that. To use the terminology that Jesus used in the Gospels, this jailer in asking this question realized that he was not whole. He realized that he had a problem and it prompted him to ask this question, what must I do to be saved? Very personal question. What must I do? Not saying what should my friend down the street do. It was, it was real to him that he was not right in the condition that he was in. He recognized that he was subject to the wrath of God because he became aware of the sin in his life. Why do you need salvation this morning? Why did the jailer need to ask this question? Why do you need to ask this question? Why can I stand here and say all these years after this question was asked that this is the most important question that you could ever ask in your life? It's because you also have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you this morning may have come from a good family. You may be respected in your community and among your friends. But you need to recognize your need to also ask this question. You still get jealous. You still get envious. You still have feelings of lust and act on them. You have lied before. You have loved something more than you love God. You have failed to honor your father and mother. All of us have sinned and fallen short. The glory of God. This question here is not just for the drunk out on the street who don't care about taking care of his family. It's for the little boy and girl that grew up in church too. We must all come to the point of realizing we have no, nothing but unrighteousness in our hearts. Every single one of us here are guilty of trespassing against God's perfect law. And because we are, God's justice will act. You and I are set to be subjects of wrath upon sin, which is why we must ask this question. It's like this jailer to ask this question, realize he was headed for certain destruction. He wants to know what can happen, what can I do so that I can be delivered. So this morning, don't try to cover up your sin and act like you're a good person in the sight of God. The Bible declares that you're not. The Bible declares that I'm not. You may have put on your nice clothes this morning. You may have cleaned up and showered and looked well. And you may go to your job tomorrow and do everything, everything that an upstanding citizen should do. But understand in the sight of God, your absolute best is filthy rags. I may respect you and I may think, man, I hope to be a parent like them one day. I, I may hope to, to have just the nice home and the, and the nice vehicle that, that others have today, but that doesn't matter. Our best in the sight of God is filthiness and unrighteousness. So you need this morning need to be concerned about this question. What must I do 
to be saved. Drop the act of perfection and let this question flow from your lips. Be willing to admit this morning that you are a sinner. Before we move on and before we see the wonderful answer to this question, I want you to look at a couple things or highlight a couple of the things that led to this realization by the jailer. What prompted him to ask this question? The powerful witness, for one, of Paul and Silas who sang praises to God in verse number 25 in the midst of a dark prison led him to ask this question. It's important this morning that we live out our faith and proclaim our faith. God may use it to lead someone to Christ. This jailer saw something different about Paul and Silas. He'd probably heard a lot of things come from those prisoners he watched. But I doubt he ever heard anybody pray and sing praises unto God. With their bodies beaten, their clothes have been taken off, but yet they are in that prison and they are singing praises unto the Lord. That is genuine faith. That is real faith. And this jailer saw something about them that helped prompt him to ask this question. As you saw on the map, where Jerusalem was, where Philippi was, in the gospel, this is the first time it's reached Macedonia. This is the first time it's reached that area. So he's not heard about this before. So something about the witness in the life of Paul and Silas brought him under conviction. When you and I as believers blend in with the world and there's no reality to our faith, then it's impossible for us to be used to help somebody come to realize that they too need to be saved. As I mentioned, even in opening, this text becomes that much more, even more of a blessing when you think about the events that brought the missionaries to Philippi and to be in this prison. God had sent them from a long ways away, directed their path and brought them, and now not from doing anything wrong, but from serving Christ, they find themselves in prison, but here they are where now this prisoner has come to them saying, what must I do to be saved? This one individual, this Philippian jailer that a lot of people, most people probably didn't know, maybe wasn't very popular, who knows what all possessions he had, but yet God has sent these missionaries to him to help bring him to faith in Christ. See how God has seized the individual, sees people where they are, and cares enough about them to send these people across a continent to share the gospel with Him. You also see the power of God as it work when this earthquake takes place. Clearly a work of God is shaken even to the foundations. Been the, the prisoners, they, their bands that were on them broke off and the doors even opened. Sounds like, I mean, if you're in prison... What, you couldn't draw up a better situation. No doubt the power of God is at work, and any time a soul is saved, you can rest assured the power of God is at work. In other words, this earthquake was not just an accident. It's not just happenstance that it occurred. Also, if you look at this from Paul and Silas' perspective, if you're in a dark place, if you're in a low place like in the literal sense, you might be in a prison where it's dark and there's no windows. But if you're spiritually in a low place, know this, that in, the moment, in a moment, God can turn your situation around if He chooses to do so. So this morning, you may be about to throw in the towel. You may be about done. You may be like Paul and Silas and feel beaten, uh, humiliated, ashamed, and thrown in a dark prison. You may be there spiritually, but look at what the Lord did for them and know that God can do the same for you. He may not deliver you today, but know this, He has the power to deliver you. And in His time,
He can bring you out on the other side. And this prisoner was going to kill himself, it says, because as a prisoner, you would have, he would have, as a soldier, he would have gotten the repercussions of whatever those he was in charge of keeping would have received. So this was like a moment of honor for him. This was gonna, he was going to be executed either way. And in that moment, though, Paul cries out in verse 20, it says, Don't do thyself no harm. He says, we're all here. The prisoners didn't make a break for it. He assumed they did, but Paul assures him, hey, look, we're all here. That's when he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, Paul answers the question. So not only do we need to recognize a personal need for salvation, but we must understand the way of salvation. Here's the great news this morning that I have for you. There is an answer to that question. Very plainly. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. From Paul's perspective, I want to urge you this morning to be somebody that helps others know how to be saved. If someone was to come to you to, today, after the service, let's say, for example, after the service, somebody comes to you, maybe God chooses to, to uh, open their heart, open their eyes to see the truth, and they come to you and say, I heard the preacher preaching about being saved. What must I do to be saved? And they ask you, what would you tell them? Would you fumble over your words? Would you be concerned about telling the right thing? Would you even know where to direct them? Well, here's your answer. Plain, simple, brief, and literally straight out of the Word of the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Anybody that may ever ask you that question, there's your answer. Believe, that word means to trust in or to have confidence in. It means to be persuaded of or to think to be true. So salvation today... Is putting your confidence in Jesus. It's putting your confidence in Him as Lord, as Master. It's being persuaded that He really did live 2,000 years ago. He really did enter the world through a virgin's womb, being fully God and fully man. It's being persuaded that Calvary and the cross that Jesus bore is not just a made-up story. It's being persuaded that the precious Lamb of God did not just die for somebody, did not just die for someone, but that He died for you. It's being persuaded that He took your place. It's being confident that He endured the wrath of God for you so that you can now stand in Jesus' innocence. It's being persuaded that Christ gives you His righteousness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's being convinced that 2 Corinthians 5.21 is true and right, which says, For he, which is God, hath made him, which is Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a class. It's not a particular worded prayer you have to pray. It's not certain actions you have to do or abstain from. Salvation is this. Hear me, church. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, Cast yourself on Christ, sinner. Throw away every other dependence and rest on Him alone. 
That's salvation. And I'm grateful this morning for the access that's revealed to us in the answer to that question. What I mean by that is, is whoever you are this morning, you can believe the gospel. If Paul would have said, you've got to give $30,000 to the church, there's going to be people who don't have $30,000 to give to the church. If Paul would have said, you have to never lust after somebody else, then there's going to be nobody that's ever lived in a world that could be saved. But the poorest individual can believe. The weak individual can believe. The vile individual can believe. If it would have been about merit or status, then most of us would have never been candidates for salvation. But it's not. It's believing. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning is whoever you are, whoever you are there's hope for you in the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But only that, there's an exclusion to the past in that answer. Paul didn't say, well, let me ask you this first. What, what's your life look like? Tell me about your family. Tell me about how you grew up. Tell me about some of the things you may be done in your life. Tell me about some of your scars, as we sometimes say, to define the, the sin and sometimes the repercussions of that in their life. Paul didn't care about none of that. He didn't ask him about what he'd done in the past. It didn't matter what he did in the past. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what your life has looked like up to this point, but you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you too can be saved. I don't care if you've got... I don't care what your story is. I don't care what kind of sin might mark your life. I don't care how other church people have looked at you in the past. I don't care what other pastors may have told you in the past. Whatever it is, it does not matter. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. And there's assurance too in that response. He says, you shout. There's a King James Version. You shall be saved. He didn't say you might get saved or well, we'll wait and see and hope for the best. He says you will be saved. I mentioned this even last week when I concluded and um, come up after Lucas preached, but this is your assurance on the days maybe you don't feel saved. All of us have those days. I mean, there's days where you just feel like the Lord's literally step by step beside you, but then there's days where maybe you fail so miserably and you just like, if I'm even saved, how can I act like this? But this scripture stands whether your feelings line up with it or not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. On the days maybe I don't feel saved, on the days you don't feel saved, Run as a refuge to this verse. He doesn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you feel it, then you're saved. He said, believe, and thou shalt be saved. So on the days whether you feel it or not, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, according to the Scriptures, you are saved. But also, there's a lack of relativism in this answer. It's not of this among many. Say, believe on the Lord Jesus and do this and do that. He didn't mention it as one way among many. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One way of salvation given. There is no other way. There's no back door into heaven. There's no other way around. He is the way. 
the truth and the lie. As Paul, or Peter rather, said it earlier in Acts 4, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one way. And for Paul to add the phrase in verse number 31, And thy house is a witness to the reality of the extent of God's grace and salvation. Paul didn't know the household, again, didn't know what their story was, but did not matter. But this is not saying that if the jailer would believe, then just by repercussion of that, his family would be saved. But Paul is saying, if you will believe, and your family will believe, then they can be saved just like you. Aren't you glad for the extent of God's grace? That Paul could look at this jailer in the eye and say, if you'll believe, and your family believes, then you all can be born again and saved from the danger and destruction that you're headed towards. The message of salvation is for all people. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This answer that Paul provides to this jailer should bring praise from our heart straight to our lips. If it was not for Jesus Christ, then Paul would have had to answer that question and say, I'm sorry but there's no way for you to be saved. If God would not have sent His Son, then you and I would be eternally lost. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. All glory to Him. But then lastly, I want you to think about this and examine the fruit of salvation. And don't get me confused when I say the question is you can know without a doubt that you are saved. And if I don't preach anything else here, then I'm going to preach this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But these are fruits of salvation. The jailer was different after he believed on Jesus. Verse number 32, they spake, this would be Paul and Silas, spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. See discipleship taking place. I see them having a new interest in the Word of the Lord. They wanted to know what the Lord had to say to them. He's being taught the Word. Verse number 33, this Philippian jailer now has compassion. These individuals he had been beating, these individuals he had been uh, keeping watch over. Now he's taking them and he's washing their stripes, according to verse 33. They were supposed to be prisoners, but now he's taking care of them. I feel confident to tell you before this, he probably never gave his prisoners much care and concern. But now he sees they're hurting, and he sees they're aching, and he's showing them compassion. He's different. The heart of a converted man will be different. Compassion will much more easily flow from your life once you've met Jesus Christ. But not only that, this Philippian jailer, he was baptized with his entire family who also trusted the gospel the very same night that all this happened. Of course, they were saved again by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of their baptism, but because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But as a result of that and wanting to tell others and publicly profess that they had trusted Him, that they are now walking with Him, that they have now committed to follow Him and in obedience to the Lord Jesus, they wanted to be baptized. The jailer and his entire house. He's different now. 
He now desires fellowship with his Christian brothers. As the text concludes, he brought them into his house. He sets a meal before them and they rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. He desires to be around Christian brothers and have fellowship with them. Again, you're not saved because you want to be around Christian people. You're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is a fruit that you can bear witness of, that you can examine in your life. But only that, he rejoiced in his salvation. Regarding the word rejoiced, I read that it means to be so glad that you jump in celebration. If you believe in God this morning, you can rejoice. A lot of things weigh our hearts down. A lot of things, a lot of heaviness weighs upon us. But don't get over the joy of your salvation. If you had been headed for certain rule and then someone stepped in to save you, I'm sure you would rejoice. You would probably literally jump for joy as we say. Of course, I work this in as an illustration whenever I can, but if the passengers and crews of uh, of, a, of another ship had, that were on the Titanic had saw another ship coming before it went under the cold water, I'm sure they would have rejoiced. From where it sunk, probably all the way in New York City, you would have heard the people celebrating that a ship had come to save them because they were headed for certain destruction. Well, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us at such a greater level. Where you and I had no hope. That's the idea of salvation. That's why I use that word saved. That we were headed for destruction. We had nothing we could do. We had no resources of our own. And in the midst of our trouble, Jesus Christ stepped in and delivered us. He brought us out of that destruction. Rejoice. Rejoice. In Him. Also, I want you to know this, and I feel like a lot of families could rejoice in this today. If you believe in God with all of your house, then you can rejoice. If you can sit in here in this service today, and you are confident of the salvation of your family, rejoice. It's a great blessing. To be able to rejoice with your family over the fact that you all believe God. That you all have placed your confidence in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this, When I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. This morning, you can be sure that you are saved when you look to Jesus. You can know that you know that you know when you wrap your arms around Christ and His cross and just hold on. As we stand together this morning and our musicians come around, the greatest adversity that probably anybody faces in trusting Christ probably especially in, in our area, just our context, our culture, is that you're going to have to lose your confidence in yourself. There's never been an arrogant and prideful man come to Christ. 
Because most of the time when you think about salvation, a lot of times our natural inclination is we start looking inside to think, well, what have I done? Have I really been that bad? Have I really said that many bad things? Have I really wronged that many people? We start looking in here. That's not salvation. Throw all that confidence in yourself to the side. Forget about that. Don't anchor yourself in any of that. You're going to have to lose that confidence. And but. All or nothing confidence on Jesus Christ. That's salvation. As the little girl told Spurgeon, wrap your arms around the neck of Jesus. That's salvation. That's salvation. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I'm learning... learning more and more to rejoice in my salvation. I'm learning what it is to rest in my salvation. I'm not saved because I'm a preacher. I'm not saved because I'm wearing a suit jacket this morning. None of that's my confidence. But I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven because I've wrapped my arms around the neck of Jesus. And I know He will not fail. If you're lost this morning, you can put your confidence in Him. Forget about, forget about anything else. Just say, call upon the name of the Lord. And Romans says, you shall be saved. If you need to come this morning, these altars are open. And I'd love to pray with you. But again, there's no, there's no secret recipe. You don't, need, you don't need me to tell you what to say. Call upon His name. Wrap your arms around Him. That's salvation. As Mark comes around and leads us, if you need to respond this morning or you just want to rejoice, maybe you want to gather your family up and come to this altar and just thank the Lord for saving you all. Whatever the Lord may have dealt with you about, you respond to Him in this time of invitation as Mark comes. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.